0: to bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello and good day, you righteous human being. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are listening to this, that you are doing fantastic. You're in for it today because we have another fantastic episode of the show. We have the man, Nick Egan, on, and we are talking about the art of transforming limitations. This is an amazing episode. We cover a lot of material in this, and it is all practical, helpful, and inspiring. We talk about Nick's time in Nepal and why he went to school for philosophy, uh, the Buddhist teachings he learned. We talk about reframing obstacles as opportunities, uh, tiring out the body to experience zen understanding what karma actually is the fastest path to enlightenment experiencing cities the two types of enlightenment in buddhism exploring god why your affirmations aren't working the enlightened heart and mind and that is just the tip of the iceberg so you know you are in for a fantastic episode if you enjoy this show please share it share it on instagram facebook wherever that helps a ton please tag me at matt belair let me know what you're listening what you think if you have any questions um, you can also if you want to support the show you can leave a review in iTunes that helps tremendously as well and you could also toss a buck in the bucket on Patreon it really helps if you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair even if you put in something that you won't even think about like a dollar it helps so much if everybody just chips in a little bit and I want to thank Claire and Caitlin thank you guys so much and thank you to all my patrons you guys have been saving my butt um, these last few months so that I can Continue to do the, to do this show full time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but the best way you can support the show, as always, is do one kind act for another human being today. And even better, take the kindness challenge. Do three kind acts for other being human beings today, or uh, sentient beings, whoever. Um, even the environment. Do that for a week. That's the kindness challenge. Let me know how that goes. Most of the people who do it have reached out and said they had an incredible experience. I call it a cosmic wink, and it's just something strange that will happen for you um, that lets you know that you're on the right track. So if you want to support the show, that's the best way you can do it. For those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you are really serious about uncovering your life purpose, leveling up, um, getting a very clear direction on where you wanna go and what you were inspired to do, and you wanna break through any limiting beliefs and programs to design your preferred reality on purpose, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. I would love to work with you and I will help you and give you all the best tools in peak performance, law of attraction, goal setting, systems, strategies, marketing, everything in between to help you reach your goal. Plus, I'll be your cheerleader and helper along the way. And if you have an organization and you want to do some training, speaking, or you have a group of people and you want to go into all of these things, whether it's mindset, performance, whatever the case may be, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com and would love to work with you. I have an announcement to make that there is going to be a membership program and courses coming out in January. 1st, 2020, I am putting it together now, so make sure you go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list so you can be the first to be notified. I've been thinking about this for a long time. I'm gonna start with a few things. I'm looking for feedback. I'm looking for you guys to let me know what it is that you're after, and I'm going to design that for you that way. In 2020, I can keep doing this podcast, and I can keep putting food on the table for my little girl because she seems to always be hungry, and so I'm enjoying figuring that out in the next stage in evolution of this podcast because the guests that are coming in are absolutely amazing. Their messages are fantastic, and I love doing the show. So it is a next step in the evolution to be working with you guys out there more and bringing you some incredible stuff. So I think that wraps it up. Um, you can check out zenathlete.com if you haven't checked out my book already. It is really a guide to self-mastery. It is a must-read for entrepreneurs, athletes, coaches, yogis, and anybody looking to level up mindset in a very simple practical, straightforward, and most important, effective way. And there's some online training over at zenathlete.com as well. So that wraps it up. Let's get into this amazing episode. And before we do, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, contentment, joy, enthusiasm, energy, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Nick Egan. Hello, and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an award winning leader and executive coach who utilizes his deep understanding of positive psychology and Buddhist philosophy to encourage personal and organizational growth. In addition to coaching, he has taught meditation techniques for more than a decade and regularly leads expeditions to destinations including Bhutan, Mongolia, Nepal, Thailand, and Tibet. He holds a BA in Psychology, an MA in Comparative Religion, and a PhD in Buddhist Philosophy. He is the author of the new book, Shift, The Art of Transforming Limitations. Welcome to the show, Nick Egan.
1: Thanks, Matt. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, man. So excited to have you on the show. I love your background. We have uh, similar curiosities. Uh, I love that you have a PhD in Buddhism, so there's so many things that we can um, (laughs) um, talk about, and you're exploring and traveling, and uh, I, I got a chance to look over your book. It looks Uh, very concise. You know, when somebody is able to kind of take these concepts that can be a little bit confusing and make them very concise, I could read that in your writing right away. So obviously you have experience, you know what you're talking about. Um, So why don't we just begin by giving the audience a little bit of uh, knowledge about your background, uh, what you've been up to and how you got to writing the book and everything you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So I started off um, pretty young, interested in meditation and spirituality. And when I was 16 and able to drive, I started driving around to these different meditation centers. And I settled on a great Zen temple here in Sonoma County, um, Sonoma Mountain Zen Center. And so I started practicing with them for a couple of years um, pretty intensively. And after about year three, maybe four, um, I got interested a little bit more on the Tibetan side of things. And that was for two reasons. One, um, I'm I'm inclined to enjoy debate and arguing and philosophy and all of that. And in the Tibetan tradition, that's really, really emphasized um, within certain schools. And then the other piece was energy work. So I I was simultaneously also doing martial arts, which I know you have a background in as well. Um, And so the energy piece really appealed to me. And in Zen, at least the kind of Zen that, that I was practicing, Soto Zen, it wasn't emphasized in the same way that it is in the Tibetan tradition. So I, I migrated over to the Tibetan tradition slowly, um, found a, a couple of really good teachers, and just started practicing and training for quite, quite a while. Um, I guess it's coming up on over 20 years now. And through that, I also simultaneously was um, studying psychology in, in undergrad. And I got a bit disillusioned because at the time, my program at least was really focusing on helping people heal emotional wounds, which is fantastic. Um, But I was really interested in how, you know, the deeper layers of mind that might allow people to thrive or to go beyond what's considered, you know, ordinary reality. And so I, by the time I was done with that, I I decided, well, I'm going to not go for the therapy license and instead I'm going to discover what... You know, comparative religion and philosophy has to offer. And so then I, I went through that time, and then as part of my PhD program, I went and stayed in a monastery in Nepal and, and studied Tibetan philosophy and language.
0: That's amazing. So, how how long did you stay in Nepal? I, I only had a brief time there. It was about six weeks, and that's when I ended up oh, yeah. on Everest. And I was teaching English in the morning, and then having conversations about <clears throat> Buddhism at night. And so, I'm yeah. curious how long you stayed there and uh, what, what you learned for me, it was very fascinating. I, I learned a lot about Buddhism, but also, um, one of the really interesting things that I heard was that, that these Buddhists, the older ones were translating, translating these ancient Buddhist texts. And they said, now it's time for the rest of the world to learn this ancient wisdom. And that's why this yeah. particular monastery was studying English and, and they were translating all these ancient texts. So I'm curious yeah. what your experience was like.
1: Yeah, so I, I started, I went to Nepal when I was 18 for um, a few weeks, and then I went back again. I, so I, I had been there a few times for about a month or so. Um, and then so when I went to go study in the monastery, it was about, uh, I think it was just shy of eight months, something, something around that time. Um, and I'll tell you, just eating that food, <laughs> I lost a lot of weight. I'm a relatively skinny guy to begin with, and I didn't realize how oh, malnourished I was until I got home and my mom you know, started crying. I think I lost 30 pounds, which I did not have that to spare. Um, so yeah, my my experience there was amazing. I mean, I, I think it's you're being you're immersed in this culture that is sort of at the crossroads between India, Tibet, and then kind of shamanistic tendencies in the East. And it's really it, I, it's like no place else in Asia in terms of the culture and the richness of spirituality that's there. And certainly there is this idea within the Tibetan Buddhist community that um, now is the time to kind of spread these teachings that were previously held fairly tightly within Tibet. And so you can, I mean, I I joke around now, I live in California in the Bay area and, you know, you can find advanced Dharma teachings down in Oakland and Berkeley that you can't get anywhere in Tibet these days. Um, So it really is interesting to see the flourishing of the Dharma um, in the West.
0: Hmm, That's fascinating. So well, let's dive into a little bit about your book because it's, it's very concise. You know, I'll read some of the chapters because I think it's, they're, they're great topics, but transform your story, reclaim your limit, li, limitless potential, transform fixation, go beyond yeah. definitions, uh, transform difficulty, obstacles or opportunities, which is a very powerful perspective to have, uh, transform urgency, identify your priority and eliminate panic panic. Um, I'm just gonna read all of them because they're all great. Transform attachment. <laughs> let go of the useless and discover space for the useful. Transform impatience. Discover the benefits of frustration, which I definitely want you to talk about because I'm constantly frustrated. <laughs> Transform the ordinary. Uh, discover the extraordinary in everyday moments. All really amazing topics. So, do you want to dive into any of those? Maybe the the ones that most commonly come up when you're either teaching or working with people or or, mm-hmm. or working with businesses and, and, yeah, whatever you want to start with.
1: Yeah. So it's funny cause I've been trying to write the book for a long time. And even though I, I do have permission to teach Buddhism in, in a certain way, um, I didn't really feel comfortable creating a Buddhist book. I mean, there, there are plenty of amazing teachers out there that are just, that have these books that are phenomenal, you know, at lots of different levels, both beginner to very advanced. Um, And so I kept hitting this roadblock until I gave myself permission one day to say, you know, what if I don't write a Buddhist book, but instead write a book for anybody and everybody that happens to also lean on my background within Buddhism and within psychology and within organizational psychology in particular. Um, So that that's when it really started to flow. So it's funny. Yes, I draw a lot on the Buddhist tradition, but my hope is that anybody can pick it up and use it, whether you have some connection to the tradition or not, um, because it really is about personal development, not necessarily enlightenment as such. Um, although I, I think taken to the extreme, you would, you can understand a little bit more about how to get there. Um, so anyway, yeah, just going to uh, just the patience part. I mean, reframing, reframing tolerance and patience and in the face of an obstacle, like a challenge or an annoyance, or a, it can be either a situation or a person, right? And so we think about these things as something to avoid, but actually, those are the very things that we need to train. And so, some of the, an analogy that I often use with my clients um, is that you, you go to the gym and there are heavy weights, and you, you want to choose progressively heavier weights in order to get stronger. And when you're doing it right, it doesn't feel pleasurable i mean you can learn to enjoy it right you can learn to feel the burn and enjoy that but at the first go it's like oh this is this kind of hurts and then you're sore afterwards but then you go toward that again and again and again and that's that we never get mad at the weights for being heavy right but but we walk around in our daily life and we are mad at like the situation or the person that's bothering us but if we look at it as like a spiritual training ground or even just a psychological training ground then it can become um actually quite pleasurable and you can learn to appreciate the growth that comes with the quote-unquote burn
0: yeah that's a really great perspective and and one perspective i also enjoy i I learned from uh, one of my teachers david lone was the uh you know i was getting upset at some sort of problem and he's like well he's just like rather than thinking of it as as a problem think of it as a puzzle and i was like "Hmm," and it seems that life is just constant puzzles from the beginning Right to the very end, there's Mm -hmm. always going to be something new that we're trying to solve because you're always growing. We're always having new experiences. And when it is a constant, and that's Mm -hmm. the thing in in Zen, they'll talk about life is suffering. Um, Alan Mm -hmm. Watts says more accurately, he believes life is frustrating. And so Mm -hmm. when we know that this is a constant thing, you're going to wake up and there's going to be something that is going to frustrate you. That's going to make you upset. And you, you're aware of that you can transform or change your perspective and how you're going to deal with that situation when you know for sure it's going Mm -hmm. to happen. Um, and I think that that's when it leads into more, more power and, and more free will because it's not your external circumstances Dictating how you feel and how you experience life. Want to comment yeah. on any of that?
1: No, I think that's exactly right. So, you were describing it as like power and, and freedom. So, you have a, a greater degree of freedom to be able to choose how you want to respond to these situations rather than having to be kind of a reflexive, knee jerk reaction. Um, and I'll say, in my experience, to do this, what we're talking about successfully, you actually need two things. The first is understanding like a a framework. So either you're looking at it as like, this is the gem of life or like you were saying, this is just a puzzle to to unlock. Something like that, like a a positive framework that allows you to move beyond just this moment of frustration. And then what I found is that a lot of my clients are able to do that Um, intellectually, but then when you're, excuse me, when you're in the moment, it's quite hard to remain cool, calm, and collected to be able to actually do those things. And that's where a practice like meditation comes in. Because if you're good at either, you know, mindfulness or meditation or whatever it is, and you have that practice that you've been doing daily, you know, for weeks and months and years, um, that gives you the the opportunity, the space to be able to do those things. Um, It's kind of like martial arts, right? You need, you can learn all the techniques you want, but if you don't have the the power to be able to execute them they're they're kind of useless and so the the power pieces of the meditation or the mindfulness and then the techniques are the the framing around it the positive
0: framing yeah absolutely and i think that's a really great point um i was listening to a really great podcast today finding mastery and uh mm-hmm. he was uh, speaking with Mark Devine from uh, Unbeatable Mind. He's a former yeah. Navy SEAL. And was just talking about these different frames of how, you know, he's like, some people, when I'm training them, they have, they have trouble meditating. So it, one of the ways that he'll do it is he'll exhaust the body. And that's the martial arts part is like, once the body's exhausted, you know, the mind has nowhere to go because it can only focus on the pain and and just getting through that next step or that next experience. It can't be thinking about sandwiches and all your stresses and things going on because you've got the body. So there are different ways, but he also shared the importance that you have to be doing that some sort of training, you know, to make that perspective work, to make that mindset work, because many people are looking at philosophy zen buddhism meditation mindfulness just from a logical perspective but that's Mm -hmm. kind of the mind we're 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 trying to influence in a way and you almost have to step out of that and these practices allow you to step out of that to see a different frame because otherwise you're just stuck in it and i'm really curious about the chapter in reclaim your limitless potential can you describe that chapter like in, in what you're trying to share with that and what the teaching is
1: sure yeah. I, first, I want to go back to something you said about um, like really tiring out the body to allow the mind to kind of settle down. Um, it really reminds me of my first Zen teacher. He used to say, you know, you need to get steamrolled. And the way that he was meant steamrolled was, you know, you don't you don't meditate for five minutes here, 20 minutes there every other day or, or whatever. It was like you sit down, you meditate. We're going to meditate for four hours straight, not moving you know, or like an entire day, you're going to meditate 15 hours in this day, and then go to sleep and do it again. And then it's like, that's a way it sounds, I think, painful, or maybe impossible to a lot of beginners. But even for a beginner, if you do that, just hold the hold the space for that. Um, It's possible to make a lot of progress very, very quickly. And it's just you have to like steamroll the mind. And so I think that some of our some of the problem with people's um, experience around this It's just not, not diving into it deeply enough. You know, we're so afraid of a little bit of discomfort, both mentally and, and physically that it can really hinder us for sure. So anyway, well,
0: yeah, I was going to, I was going to add on to that too. I was just, uh, I take notes as we go along, but, but it's such a great concept and it's something that I absolutely learned through martial arts. It's, Mm -hmm. it's going towards discomfort. And I'm no expert at it. I know people like, you know, David Goggins and the Navy SEALs and what other people have done. Um, I just heard this documentary, the iron cowboy, I forget his name. It's on Netflix, but this guy, Holy shit. I just found out (laughs) did a marathon every day for 50 days, in 50 States is on that's crazy Wait, I no not a marathon imagine. sorry sorry way worse than that a triathlon so oh. including a marathon <laughs> you know what I mean it was just at the beginning I was like is this even possible like what yeah. and he does it and then we've got the guy who uh, just wrote the did the two hour marathon and it's we I was wondering what the pace is it's 13 miles an hour for two hours most winners can only do it for about a minute you know so right, right. i'm going to go and try and see how long i can do it but it's unbelievable and i love that concept because it's something that i when i trained in china with the shaolin monks that's that was basically their training if you want to <laughs> boil it down to the most rudimentary thing that they did to everybody was mm-hmm. that they steamrolled us physically you mm-hmm. know so you know those hard sits of meditation and it's really challenging to do it on your own without an outside guide but mm-hmm. when you can do it on your own, I don't know how to put words around it and in, mm-hmm. in only to say that it's so beneficial and it cultivates a mental strength moving towards that discomfort. And, you know, David Goggins is a guy who takes it to the extreme. And uh, but martial artists in, in um, China and many around the world, they're able to do it themselves. And even if they do it a little bit, but being able to of your own free will and volition, push yourself right to discomfort beyond that limit that you think it is. And uh, there's so much value in that. I don't know how to describe it. But your point is is, is very valid.
1: Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too. So we're, when you talk about the physical disciplines, that's sort of easy to see, like, everybody can see, oh, my gosh, so they, you know, this guy did, you know, <laughs> triathlons every day for however many days, 50 days, that you can measure. And, and I think now we're just coming to the point where the scientific instrumentation is such that we can actually see what's the equivalent of that in terms of meditation. You know, people that meditate three years in retreat, 10 years in retreat, things like that. Like what, how do we, how do we see that? And I think that's what's um, so interesting about living in this time right now is that 10, 15, 20 years ago, we weren't able to measure that. And now we are, and it's blowing scientists' minds. And it's like, wow, this guy's brain is actually physically different. It's like, yeah, of course. If you meditate in a cave for 10 years, what do you, What else did you expect? But that's kind of news on the scientific front. So I think it's an it's an exciting time because, yes, everybody's looking for a shortcut and a hack and all of that. But, you know, the scientific method is quite valuable. And, and once it's applied to the spiritual, I think it actually – can be a very beneficial tool to kind of jump things up to the next level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. hundred percent. I, I totally agree. And that's, you know, for me writing Zen athlete and the hope there mm-hmm. was like sharing the uh, you know, the mindset tools that mm-hmm. all the greatest athletes have talked about and martial artists have been doing for decades, you mm-hmm. know, making it simple. But the challenge is when you go to the gym, your body hurts. And so mm-hmm. to convince people that visualization works, that understanding mm-hmm. your, your internal dialogue works, but this is the stuff that transforms your life and you don't need to be an athlete, but these are simple tools that people have been talking about, forever. So again, it's a a really great point. They're simple, they're simple ideas, but sometimes tough to execute or feel. It's like when I was younger, like you meditating and and looking at all this stuff, it's not a physical thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it was like kind of this feeling. And that's kind of when you get into spirituality and nature. And uh, I was actually, I just did a little getaway with my Um, girlfriend and and you know I talk about these stories that you know I was like well trying to discern like what the hell am I actually doing with the podcast and I was like part of the thing that I that I attempt to do is share with people that there is some sort of universal force out there that's beyond our Mm -hmm. understanding and I have experienced it directly several times and she told me this story about um, when she was younger she's like no you're talking about and and was talking about she had a decision in her life to make and she's like if it's yes um, I'd like red roses right and if mm-hmm. it's no uh, i would like uh, uh dead roses so mm-hmm. roses and then dead roses and so she said she'd been doing that for about a week or so and then all of a sudden just let it go and a part of like the manifestation process of i've heard anyways like you got to do it with like non-attachment so when you're finally right. like, okay i'm gonna let it go which is way harder uh, done than said um, she said she come downstairs at her friend's house and somebody said where do these roses come from And there were dead roses on the table and nobody had known where they had come from. And they were at the house and it's like, we were all there. There There's no one else home. You know what I mean? We had been downstairs a few minutes before, you know, where did these things come from? And it's just like, huh, you know, something very strange that you've been asking for specifically. So working with this like universal intangible force. So I guess with that rant, please feel free to add on anything you want to it and what do you believe about that universal force god studying religions right everybody's trying to get to god but they have it in different ways and going to the parliament of world religions i i saw good and bad and you have different thoughts on that so what's your view
1: yeah that's it's really interesting um i'm reading a book right now talking about law of attraction and manifestation and all that um and it's been a while. I haven't read. I used to read those books quite often when I was much younger. And once I got into more orthodox kind of Buddhist philosophy, I put those aside. Not because I didn't believe in them or because they didn't jive with anything, but I was just a little bit more focused on that side of things. Um, and it's it's interesting to me because one, I mean, I, I certainly have some experiences where there's no question in my mind that what the what you put out there in terms of your intention, what you're holding in as um, as reality or what you're asking for, it's going to get to you eventually. It's just a couple, there are a couple of factors, like how often do you do it? How strong do you do it? How clear is your mind? Um, kind of what actions have lined up to make that happen. And we can talk about that in Buddhism as almost karma, right? People think of karma as um, this very, almost like infantile, like, oh, I'm doing one good thing and that goes in my bank of karma. And then eventually I'm going to get this other good thing from it. That's actually, um, It's not wrong, but it's a very low level understanding of karma. A better way is that actually my experience of the entire universe is only a projection of consciousness. We can call it like consciousness only. So it's coming from the Chittimatra school, which means literally mind only. And because of that, it's much more malleable than we think it is. And if we have clarity of intention and feeling, we can actually create things that, um, were not there previously or or create new situations for us to experience. And the, the tactical um, implication for this is that within Buddhism, specifically Tibetan Buddhism, the highest meditations are not simply sitting and breathing. They're actually visualizing yourself as a Buddha or as an enlightened being, you know, all the colors and lights and all those mandalas that we see everywhere. Those are actually, um, the floor plans for like an enlightened world. And so when you're doing this practice and you're saying these mantras, you're connecting up with that enlightened energy and you're visualizing, it, you're bringing it forth. And what they say is that that's the fastest path to enlightenment. Why? Because you're actually manifesting what you truly are deep within. Um, so that that is very similar to what many people are talking about within law of attraction. The little bit different, the difference is that um, I think Buddhism is pretty Mostly geared obviously toward enlightenment, right? Whatever that might mean to somebody. Whereas law of attraction, I think they use it a little bit more to gain what would be considered like worldly success. But I but there's room for that as well,
0: you know. I love that. Caught me taking notes again. I, everything okay, you're saying, yeah. I gotta take these notes. Well <laughs> no now I I wanna go like a different way with it because we're kind of wow. we're kinda getting there. <laughs> um so you spend time in Nepal and when I was in Nepal, I trekked Mount Everest, I tried to go to Tibet, but I did not know. It's still occupied by China, still yeah. occupied to this day. So to go there, you got to go with, it's a ridiculous what they make you do. It's an yeah. unacceptable situation that is still going on now. Just mm-hmm. an FYI, it's baloney. But I wanted to go there, couldn't do it. So I was in Nepal, trek Mount Everest. And on the way up to Mount Everest, I look, and it's like three days up. And I look across the Himalayas in the middle of winter. And there is a massive temple on the other side. And I asked yeah. my guides, I was like, who the heck is over there how do you even get there and they're like we don't know i was like what do you mean <laughs> i was like you know i was like how on god's green earth do you get over there and so it makes me think about you know part of the reason to go to nepal and tibet and china i've been very curious about ascended masters or mm-hmm, or yeah. enlightenment in the sense of like what jesus could apparently do which i think mm-hmm. that he existed you know what buddha was able to do you know as far as like enlightenment and then also most recently yogananda i'm talking mm-hmm. about the babaji lineage and people like that and so where i'm at with it right now is that i think that those people exist, um, even in the indigenous cultures, you know, um, learning from native Americans, they kind of talk about certain people that had these powers. Now Mm -hmm. I kind of have two minds about it now. Number one is that I felt, I feel like enlightenment was a lot simpler than I thought that I don't know if I'm going to get to a consciousness where I'm like, I am Christ consciousness and everything is hunky dory and I'm Mm -hmm. floating around on a cloud and it's all perfect. What I kind of feel at this point around enlightenment, it's more about, you know, making decisions with integrity, understanding who you are, uh, walking the path each and every day, you know, doing something of meaning and, and, and and more like less, less fancy. That Mm -hmm. being said, I do think that maybe that consciousness is possible and that there are beings and people that exist now or in the past that have experienced them. So they can do like, you know, obviously if you've, you've read autobiography of a Yogi, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of the, you know, those, teachers doing those wild things so did you when you were in nepal ever experience or hear of anyone like that or what are your thoughts around that field of people whether it's like jesus and studying comparative religions you have Mm -hmm. different people that can do certain things so what are your thoughts on on all of that and also god in particular
1: yeah that's that's just gonna throw
0: the bus at you
1: (laughs) (laughs) what are your thoughts on everything and this other thing
0: yeah Um, (laughs) totally
1: yeah so Okay. A lot of great stuff in there. Um, First, I would say that just thinking about, you know, power, like uh, we call it occult powers or supernatural powers. Um, There's certainly in, at least in the Buddhist tradition and in my own experience, there are many, many people that have varying degrees of that. And even I think, quote unquote, ordinary people. Many people that I know have had experiences like your your girlfriend's experience. That would be considered almost like a like a power type of thing. A city, in Sanskrit, it's called a city, like an accomplishment. S um, so i d d h i. So I'm a huge believer in those kind of things, both from experience and from just on the philosophical side. Now, the challenge is that's not exactly the same as enlightenment. So you can, I actually trained with a guy, a a meditator in a different Western tradition. And the guy, I mean, there's no question he had some significant abilities, clairvoyant abilities. He had proven to me many, many times, Um, but he was still, you know, sort of a jerk (laughs) and he didn't really like the deeper levels of enlightenment. I think were not there just because that's not what he was training. So those two things are not necessarily the same thing. And even within kind of the classical Tibetan tradition, they'll say, you know, the worldly, the worldly accomplishments, meaning like powers, um, supernatural powers, and enlightenment, the, the otherworldly accomplishment, are not the same thing. So, so it's important not to confuse the two. It doesn't mean one's better. than. Well, it does actually mean, it, it doesn't mean you need to disparage one or the other. It just means that they're separate. Um, so when you talk about, so I'm getting to your point about like, what is enlightenment? And is it like consciousness floating on a cloud and that sort of thing? In Buddhist philosophy, there are actually two kinds of enlightenment. Uh, we can call it like a, an enlightenment of a place. So like enlightenment, and this is considered um, in, at least in the Tibetan tradition the the lower level. It's where it's like okay, I I go to nirvana, and I'm kind of like what you're saying, like floating on a cloud. There's no more pain, no, none of that. So I'm going to a place, a, a localized nirvana. The other enlightenment the other kind of nirvana is a non-localized nirvana and what they say is that there it's like you recognize the nature of mind and you stabilize that so much to where you you can walk around and it doesn't matter if you're in heaven hell the bronx calgary san francisco wherever it's all nirvana and i I definitely have had experiences with teachers well they they will say this in fact my first zen teacher it's funny even though i only studied zen rigorously three years it's definitely coming up in this conversation Um, I once time asked him the exact same question. And I was, what I was struggling with was like, okay, do you, when you die, when you, this Roshi dies, are you going to come back as a reincarnated Bodhisattva? Somebody that comes back and helps people? Or are you going to go up to a Pure Land or a Nirvana? You know, something like that. Like, what's, what's the deal with that? And so I asked him this, you know, this young punk 19 year old kid, like what an idiot I was. Right. And he looked at me and he said, with his deep voice, he said, this is Nirvana. And there was no doubt in my mind that that was his experience. So then if that's the case, so if we take that at, at base level, the question is, why are we screwing up Nirvana and how do we stop doing that, right? And so then it becomes like, okay, how do I, how do I sharpen my awareness so much so that every moment I really experience the infinite nature of, of both myself and of all reality? And, and it's possible and all it takes is one glimpse. So if you can get one glimpse of that through meditation, then it's like, okay, it may take you a hundred years or a hundred lifetimes, but if you have just one glimpse, you know what that feels like and you can kind of start moving toward it. And all the better if you have a teacher. Now you asked the, the final thing you were talking about was God. Um, you know, what's what's up with God and like my personal beliefs and also kind of the, the Buddhist beliefs in general um, within Within the Tibetan school, and I would say most elements of Mahayana Buddhism, meaning the northern part of Buddhism that you find in China, Japan, there's an understanding that they talk about emptiness, right? Like, oh, emptiness and, or nothingness or voidness. Sometimes it gets translated as shunyata is the Sanskrit term. And what, what that means is that it's empty of limitation. It doesn't mean there's like nothing there. It just means it's interconnected with everything else. And so when you get every little bit of something interconnected with every little bit of everything else throughout all the vast universe or universes, whatever accounts whatever as that, what you get is there really is no birth and no death ultimately. And instead, it's like almost like a universal divine energy. And in fact, in, the, in Sanskrit, the word would be deva, which means like, you could translate it as God, but it actually just means divine, D-E-V-A, deva. And like everything is deva like that, which is very, so if you're talking about God, it's not so much that there's a creator God that's separate from it's that everything is God itself. And and the analogy that I like to give is it's like the entire world, everything would be made out of gold. And some things that are made out of gold are beautiful. And other things that are made out of gold are like murder weapons or whatever, or ugly things, but actually at its essence, it's all gold. And so we forget that. Instead, what we get stuck in is the manifestation, meaning like, oh, that's a nice gold pot or, oh, that's a terrible, ugly gold sculpture or something like that. But actually at its fundamental level, it's all gold. And at the fundamental level of experience, it's all divine, meaning all God.
0: Awesome, man. Those are really amazing uh, explanations of very challenging and, and deep questions. So beautiful answers. There's a lot that, I'm curious about in what you've said and just in in general, but I'm trying to decide which way I want to go with it. What what will be the most useful? Because my brain is going all kinds of different directions. Sure, sure. Okay, so I guess what I'll start with is – oh, yeah, I wanted to mention this. You you, you said a lot of things that I agree with. In Yogananda, he wrote a a very small book called Scientific Affirmations, and he talked Mm. about why – you are trying to manifest something, but it doesn't work. Why are you using affirmations and they don't work? And essentially what he's saying is you're not adding any spiritual will. And so he talks mm-hmm. about like these methods being scientific and that the universe is electromagnetic and you need to put a force to it. And it's, <clears> so <throat> you're wanting this thing that you're affirming and you're asking the universe for but you're putting no will towards it so it's like if you are this empty pond you know you'd be putting like one ounce maybe like mm-hmm. I want this ideal lover or I want this ideal job and you just say it but there's no actual energy or emotion which could be you know Dr. Joe Dispenza's work he says your emotion is the magnetic charge and your thoughts are the electric charge to the quantum universe or oh. Like interesting very, yeah very interesting stuff yeah so when um so what he's suggesting is that you need to put that will in there and the example that i use is we're going around talking about these affirmations and the same with uh you know sports and visualization and, and manifesting whatever the heck you want there's there's no emotion so it's like if you want to learn how to do a backflip before you've done one the more real you can make it and the more excited you are when you land it the more likely you're going to have it the more real you can make that affirmation of the love or whatever so it's like we put an ounce in, it's like, oh, you know, like I'd like my ideal job or I am living my ideal life or whatever. But mm-hmm. if you take the example of a mother whose child is like under a car and it's burning and she yeah. like this, there's documented cases. of this. The mother lifts up the car. She's not worried about how much she squats. She's not worried about how strong she is. She is just putting every ounce of her will, of her being, of her essence into making that thing move to mm-hmm. save the daughter so can you imagine if we had our affirmations and our goals and our desires and we put that amount versus the little piddles that we do when we say an affirmation and it kind of leads to the point when you're talking about these uh, spiritual powers or the manifestation powers when you're doing it just to manifest let's say you want to manifest materialism money is fine we need money to survive you can you can do that but if you're just manifesting cars and money and houses mm-hmm. for the sake of them and another house and another house is not going to lead to really permanent fulfillment. That's the no. idea. You know what I mean? Those things are great to share, but there's more than just the material thing. So you can manifest money. Um, mm-hmm there's no problem with that but the idea is that it's not about the spiritual powers it's not about the money it's not about like oh look at me I can do these things there's this deeper thing and then it becomes uh, philanthropic you want to use what you've learned and how you feel and what you can do with your with your life to support and share with other people and we discussed earlier like the enlightenment one of the one of the things I feel like a modern enlightened person isn't always thinking about what I can get you know what can I get yeah we need to get things and that's okay like, I'd like to get this for the house, this for my daughter, this for this, you can do that. But it's more like, what can I give back? How can I support community? How can I support my neighbors? How can I support the world? What can I do that can help another being? They have that as, as more of their uh, true nature, you know, and I found that in, in Buddhism a lot too, it was about so much about service. So I'm going to shut up and see if you want to add anything onto those. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's,
1: uh, that's great. No, I agree with that. I think, um, kind of working backwards. So the idea of enlightenment, um, there's something called bodhicitta. So it's Sanskrit, another Sanskrit term. Uh, bodhi means enlightenment. So it's, it's similar to like a bodhisattva, an enlightened being, or a Buddha, actually. The, those words are related. And citta is, means heart uh, or mind. And so it's like your consciousness. And it's like an enlightened heart or an enlightened mind. It gets translated like that. And the very first level of it, it has deeper, deepening levels of meaning, right? Um, But the very first level is actually just wishing everybody to become the most happy they possibly can. And within a Buddhist formulation, that's like enlightenment. So that means at a very concrete level, having a warm heart toward as many people as you can and wishing them the highest level of happiness. So that is a form of enlightenment that people, I mean, it's not really, it's not terribly mystical, but it is, there is something um, amazingly valuable and beneficial about it. And if you don't start with that foundation, it becomes very easy to get caught up in some of the other kind of more fancy quote unquote spiritual things. And I I do, I do think that you see people that fall into that trap, you know, they're really good at like Reiki or whatever it is, but actually they're kind of not the most um, kind hearted people. And the, and the Dalai Lama, he's the great emissary of this. This is, this is what he talks about, you know, all the time is this bodhicitta thing, the kind heart. Um, So I think you're right about that. And I think that going more to what you were saying, like the, the manifestation as a form of scientific understanding. I think that's actually true. And I think a lot of these traditions, like I'm thinking of Taoism. So spiritual practices that came out of China and then Buddhism and Hinduism, spiritual practices that came out of uh, India and migrated to to Tibet and other places. they, they merged with elements of the medical tradition, right? So like the the whole idea of chi or prana that actually came out of the medical tradition of these, these places. So they, there is the scientific element and through years of like experimentation and also insight, they were able to create these systems that are incredibly powerful. Right. And so I think that there isn't anything like in the West, we have this thing of like, Oh, faith and science, you know, forget it. Because faith in the West means Um, you have to take it on blind faith. Don't question. If you question too much, you know, you can't understand it, all this stuff. Faith in India actually means understanding something logically and then having an experience of it. So you can translate faith. The the word in Tibetan is you can translate that as confidence because it doesn't, you know, anybody can, if I've had an experience of something, you can't really shake my confidence in that way. Um, so now going to the manifestation piece, um, Putting spiritual energy behind something, it's funny because one way to look at the world from an Asian kind of spiritual perspective is that everything is energy, but just like varying degrees of um, intensity, right? So, so on the one hand, you have physical the physical universe, which is a kind of energy. Inside the body, there's like chi or prana, actual like bio energy. And that chi that or that prana, that energy that moves through you, as it's hitting certain spots, it can create what we call emotion. And so that actually is what emotion is. And we have that in, in English too, like E motion, energy and motion. Um, and so it's moving through the body. and It's creating these emotions. And at the, high, at the most subtle level is consciousness. And I'm saying consciousness very intentionally because it's, yes, mind, ordinary thinking mind. Like if I think I need a cup of tea or something, that is consciousness. But there's an even um, deeper substrate of consciousness. And because of that, you can tap into I think a greater degree of clarity, force, and freedom, and if you put that behind uh, your manifestation there's just there's absolutely no stopping it and if you get really, really good, I mean this is like high, high level, they say it's like instantaneous right I mean for us, we have to even in ordinary time if I use if i'm thinking about tea and I'm like, oh, I really want tea and like oh, I really wanted it enough to where I have to get up and go make the tea, that is a form of manifestation i'm putting I have that emotional need and then i want to go i have a thought and then i put forth action and then it here it is but for somebody that's like very very advanced you can just do the same thing but it's like bam t is there because their mind is so clear now it's the same thing of like that sounds cr- like a little bit out there but if you think about like these guys that are lifting you know an olympic lifter or something or the the iron man guy like it took years of practice to get to that point they didn't just walk up and be like that you know, lift this eight hundred pound bar or whatever it is. Like if I tried that, I couldn't budget at all, and I'd be like, ah, oh, that's impossible. I don't believe it. But actually, through a specific kind of training, it is possible.
0: Yeah, man, I agree with all that, and that's a really brilliant analogy because what has been happening on the planet when you look at the the physical attributes, we can see that and measure it. And the the two mile marathon is it's ridiculous. It is. Mm-hmm. It I don't care as to, it is impossible. The fifty triathlons in a day that is an, an impossible thing like it really is it's it's unbelievable um you know even stuff that Wim Hof was doing and measuring and just being yeah. in cold and and what our bodies are capable of but all of this stuff was done through training and mm-hmm. I had heard of somebody that I met I actually wrote about in my book and I actually recently I hadn't thought about him forever but a person that had meditated for uh, well i'll tell the story briefly because i'm into it but it's somebody that i met and uh when i when i was doing my first ayahuasca ceremony years ago and he just every time we, we did a podlock and every time he would say something th- this guy just had knowledge you know what i mean mm-hmm. you could just tell so i got up there and was like hey Tyrone, like you mind if we like have a grab a coffee sometime i'd love to just chat with you because you know what's going on so we were chatting and i was like and i discover and i was like well how did you how did you come to like this awareness and it was profound you know everything he was saying was so deep and he goes well he's like i've been kind of like spiritual and seeking my whole life been curious about you know meditation and consciousness and god he's like in in, in my 30s i uh, like a few years ago I, I wanted to really know so i started to read books and i read uh, over uh, 300 books in a year or 400 mm-hmm. books in a year and every religious book every spiritual book every enlightened book i read all that's all i did for the whole year and i didn't figure it out And uh, he goes, so I, I go at that point, I was like, the next step was to, I had the idea that I was going to stay in meditation for the rest of my life until I knew, and I wasn't going out. And he looked at me and he goes, you can't fake that. I was never coming out until I knew. And I was like, Okay, I was like, so then what did you do? And he goes, well, I started meditating, and I was like, how long for it? He's just like twenty hours a day. I was like, oh my god. I was like, what did you eat? And he goes, he goes, my brother would drop off food, uh, just rice and vegetables every couple of weeks, and I'd wake up and you know eat those rice and vegetables and go back to meditating. And he goes, it just so happened to be about a hundred days, and he's just like, I was never coming out. He's like, you can't fake. And I've heard like it t- talks about it in spiritual texts and in the Bible mm-hmm. and things like that. It's like asking, it is given. It's like the yearning for like, um, like spirit, God or the universe in a very honest way. And that's why, you know, I don't agree with most religions. I have a, like, if you're a religious person, I got no problem with that. You can be religious. Um, I have a a challenge with the institutions battling each other and killing each other because they believe different things about Mm -hmm. what I perceive as the same idea, the same goal, you know, so that's the challenge that I have. But what I love about a lot of religious people and I have a lot of religious friends and they're great. Um, I wouldn't say a lot, but I have some, Um, they have that thing. They have that direct faith to the higher power. And I think that's so wonderful that most people don't have, but I just don't, you know, it's just the individual stories and I've been having like weekly conversations with um, uh, Jehovah witness, you know, but Uh it's just like this, you just have this one story and you can't see anyone else's point of view, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's where I get squirrely. But, that faith that they have to that higher power, that that honest yearning, um, mm-hmm. and so that's what Tyrone did, and that's he's he wasn't coming out until he he had it, and he said just so happened to be a hundred days, I felt like I was getting electrocuted, and I mm-hmm. didn't know if water had leaked in and I was actually being electrocuted because I've been meditating for so long, um, mm-hmm. so I just surrendered to it, and then. You've had the experience and I've had it too. It's kind of like oneness mind or non-local mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's indescribable. So he described it in a, in a, in a few certain ways. And, um, you know, oh, yeah. And so as this guy is talking to me, man, I had put my hands underneath my my seat because my body was floating up. But I wasn't mm-hmm. registering what was happening. It felt like I was coming out of my body.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was
0: like, what the heck? I tell them to take a break, I have to go pee. I go into the bathroom, I go pee. My face is moving. It's like Mm -hmm. I'm on psychedelics and I'm just like, what in the flying bejesus is happening right now? Yeah, Uh, This is so mental. And it's funny because two of my buddies, so I could get on the podcast and talk about it, we had had that same experience together two weeks previous. We were talking about all these spiritual concepts and we Mm -hmm. had like a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my buddies made a comment and we're like, I'm just a weird human. So I thought I was going through it by myself, but they actually had it too. And so I had it with this individual person. It's a long winded way to say that he shared an example after that about how he'd come through. And I was like, well, he talked about a thing that he was able to manifest pretty instantly um, around finances. And he's like, I have a lot of money, but it was something that I can measure. You know, Mm -hmm. he had money from doing other stuff before. He's like, that wasn't the issue, but I wanted to do something that I couldn't measure. So very long-winded way to say, but when we want to manifest something, the first problem that I see in law of attraction is just material. We need material Uh stuff, yes, but where we're going, how we want to shape, who we want to be, what we want to learn, how we want to grow, how we want to give back goes far beyond just the material. Material Mm -hmm. is one part of it that is welcomed and necessary, but not the most important it's just a byproduct you can be happy with nothing and you can manifest tons and give back tons too Mm -hmm. um the second thing is the idea that like you want to do the 50 triathlons you start training Mm -hmm. over time you're going to get to that goal if you keep with consistency but if you can give yourself something a worthy goal that gives you a lifetime Mm -hmm. right that you're willing to work the master in china that could break stone um Mm -hmm. spent years in meditation and mm-hmm. hard Qigong, poking a tree to do something that was impossible. So what if that, that goal of what your possibility was was so inspiring to you, it just kind of unfolded as you went along? It's not about just like, oh, I'm gonna go manifest this. It's like, I really want to because it's who I am. It's a part of my being, it's my connection with nature. And I think if you can line those things up, we must manifest the thing that we want. Even if it's the house and the family, you might get it 30, 40, 50. It's like, oh, but that's a part of this whole bigger picture that Mm -hmm. I'm uh, embodying. So that was a huge story. You can feel free to uh, add on and and, and comment as you wish. But it it goes back to the question that I wanted to ask originally and I'm very curious about is I think that everybody has limitless potential. I think that anybody Mm -hmm. can create and live an absolutely extraordinary life. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're kind of misdirected in our thinking and time frames and convoluted that we're not able to give ourselves a clear picture of something that would be meaningful to work at for a mm-hmm. long period of time, because that's probably what's going to be required. But through your mastery, you might get to the point where you can friggin' do a triathlon for 50 days in a row. That is unbelievable. Right. right? But it would have taken you a while to get to that first one. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And better and better and better at whatever that next manifestation version or creation of what you would uh, like to bring forth, what you'd like to manifest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. That's a, those are cool stories. I have a, a couple of thoughts kind of going back to the beginning. One, um, being around people that are spiritually advanced, I don't, you know, who knows enlightened or not enlightened, whatever, but people that have had those experiences, it is, there is something that gets transmitted, um, spirit to spirit or consciousness to consciousness. And it, it's, it gets talked about in the Tibetan tradition as like a pointing out instruction. And I've had that experience with a few teachers where it's like, you just get zapped, like, you know, it's feel, I think it feels different for different people, but it's like you're zapped by lightning or something. And, and you're having this experience, but it's not really of your own volition. It's kind of like you're tasting their experience a little bit, like being around, if you ever get a chance to, you know, actually physically meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama, that without a doubt, I mean, for me, many, many times that, that came through. Um, So there, so yes, I think that's very real. And I think the more time you spend with those kind of people, the more that rubs off on you. There's a saying in India, and it says that even a, an ordinary tree growing in a sandalwood forest because sandalwood smells quite good, will pick up the scent of sandalwood. And so it's like, they're saying, seek out those kinds of people because you'll get, it'll permeate onto you. Um, And then the other thing I was thinking about while you were talking was, um, you know, quote unquote, religion and religious people and, and, that creates so many issues, I think, for many people, because you can look back at history and say, "Oh, you know, the institution and and all of this." Um, and I'm reminded of the saying that it says, um, "You know, mystics agree, but theologians argue." And so it's this idea that you know, yeah, we're gonna. You can talk about is God, you know, six foot tall with a long beard sitting up in heaven, or is God over here? Is God this? But if you're if you're talking, in my experience, if I talk to like a Christian mystic or a Jewish mystic or, you know, a Sufi, um, it's very very similar to a lot of the discussion around um, Buddhist philosophy. I mean, Buddhist mysticism, right? And and even if you don't have access to those people, pick up a copy of Rumi, right? Pick up the Rumi's poems, and then pick up like a Zen book or a tibetan book, one that's written not on philosophy just like from the heart and you will definitely be able to find these connections and i think people innately sense that and they don't want to get caught up in a system that's going to be limited in some way and so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because because of that they don't commit fully to one system and right understandably but then they also can kind of limit their own progress because they're like going here, going there, doing all these different things. Whereas if you just stuck with the one thing, you would have accomplished all. Um, but it's hard to do, I think, because I, I see the, the drawbacks in that. And then, um, no, now I lost my train of thought. We're going to talk about manifesting. What was the last, <laughs> what was your last point about manifesting?
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't, oh, well, I, I like the idea of like giving yourself a lifetime. to. Work oh, yeah. For
1: right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The idea, if you're going back to like law of attraction and even like a spiritual understanding of manifesting something, it, let's say you just want money. You want more money. Easy, right? Measurable. Like you said,
0: everybody, if you really (laughs) want,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly, Very measurable. Um, if you only stay with that, it's going to take much longer than if you find out what the feeling is behind you having a lot of money. So if you really want to talk about like how to actually do this, um, and this is funny cause I'll tell you just really quickly about m- some of my clients in a second. Um, what you need to do is let's, so if I think about, okay, having a lot of money, having abundance, what that does is it gives me a feeling of freedom, right? Me personally, it might give you a feeling of satisfaction or safety or power whatever that feeling is. But so for me, it's freedom. And so when I'm, when I am trying to manifest something, trying to create something or trying to attract something, however you want to think about that, you have to stand in the place of that quality, that core value, that emotional charge, that feeling in order to bring that to you. Otherwise you don't have the juice. It's like you, you don't have the battery to light up the light. Right. But if you do have that, that energy to light up the light much, much faster and you can, you can get those things. And it's funny, the reason, um, I brought up my clients is I, I do executive coaching and career coaching. And for my career coaching clients, it is unbelievable What, so what I have them do is I have them identify the exact career that they're looking for. Not, not like I want to be a project manager at Google, but like, I want to work with innovative people. I want to be in engaging with inspiring conversations. I want to be making X dollars. And so sometimes it's like, it takes me two sessions to get them to say like, I want $90,000. Other times it takes me two sessions for them to get to, I want $250,000. I have one client, he's was making half a million. He wanted to make 750 million. Everybody has their, their limit of what it is you know it's all in the mind and it's like the more we can push yourself push yourself and get to that point the better you're going to be in terms of creating that reality now I, the reason i bring that up is because every single client that i've had that does this practice and what i have them do is either create a vision board or create a list or email themselves or whatever it is if they do the practice right w- unbelievable like within a few months they get exactly what they're looking for like down to the $1000 amount and that's where it's like it's Completely impressive to me that they're able to create that
0: within their life. That's amazing. And I I totally agree because when I'm working with clients, it's the same thing. And and these practices and these principles have been around. They're just not popularized. And again, it's not physical. So, so many people have such resistance to using them. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, that's why I use a sport example so often. It's because the sport is a physical manifestation of Mm -hmm. what the body is capable of, how fast we can go, how strong we can be. And it all starts in the mind. And when you are a martial artist as a kid, you understand that's what it is. It's mind, body, but then that's how the spiritual experience comes in, you know, and that's where it goes beyond you. You realize that you were a part of everything, that this is a very special experience to be having. And if you're in that and you're fulfilled and you're doing well, you're naturally going to want to support other people. So your highest vision, whatever that um, is, That's amazing. That's what the universe wants for you. That's what the environment wants for you. And that's how you're going to be able to give back to other people. So I'm curious with that process, if someone's listening, can you just give like the Coles notes? Is it, um, is it like a visualization that they'll do once they get really clear, like going through a process, getting very clear and then adding a visualization as a part of the practice?
1: Yeah, actually it's, it's pretty simple. Um, the first, so if we're, if I'm doing that kind of stuff, like law of attraction, we'll call it that. Um, The first thing is getting a clear vision around how you want to feel within that. And so not, like I said, I I really, I strongly discourage people from saying like, I want to be a project manager at Apple or whatever, because you don't, you don't actually know what the universe has in store for the possibilities for you to actually feel as successful as you want to feel it may be in a totally different direction you know you may end up being an author and going on oprah who who knows what what that's going to look like so one getting a clear set of what it is that you want to actually bring forth Um, but being very specific about you know the actual dollar amount i think that's important and trying to stretch that up trying to push that up as much as you can then identifying the core feelings around that like okay I will feel creative, I will feel inspired, and I will feel free. Let's say it's like that. And then I have them actually create that feeling, like close your eyes you know, while we're on the phone or on a Zoom meeting, and, and imagine what that feels like and try to step into that feeling and where, does it, where is it located in your body and see if you can increase that, like turn the dial up and, and let that permeate all of your cells. And then from that point, you can read the email that you wrote to yourself or look at your vision board or visualize if you're inclined toward that. You know, those things, reading, reading an email that you've sent to yourself of affirmations or putting up a vision board, those are just visualization tools, right? It, it triggers something within our mind to be able to do that. So if you're skilled at visualization, you don't even need to do it. And you just imagine that happening. And then you have to kind of rinse and repeat so that you have to, for my clients, I tell them you have to do it every single day. And for the first week, you know, I want them to check in with me. Like, I, are you, did you do it today? Um, and if not, why not? And what's, what's getting lost there? Um, so that's, that's really the, the formula and it's pretty simple and it has these amazing results.
0: Hmm. Well, I figured out at the end why it works for your clients because you force the accountability and that's yeah. a, that's the challenge when, when we're doing this type of work, it, mm-hmm. get, it gets to the point sometimes where you don't know if it's working because mm-hmm. you can't feel it and it, and we want it so immediately. So mm-hmm. we just give up. Mm-hmm. and. For me, for whatever reason, I've just been very curious about this stuff. So I kind of go all in. And then it's that point when you do it, you see the result. And you, if you're journaling it, if you're writing it down, if you're asking questions, um, you're going to be able to measure it and be like, Oh, it smokes. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's how it came. Like it actually did work. So it's up to each individual to find their own proof and to have the resolve to do it consistently, to, mm-hmm. to follow through a process, to really commit to experiment. Cause it's really not that much time, but there's enough information out there to give us enough reason to add it as a part of our practice. And even even in the very sense of just how we live and navigate our lives because many people live in in what I've kind of referred to as like default mode or taskless Mm -hmm. consciousness where we get up and, you know, you could be making a lot of money. You could be making no money. It doesn't matter, but it's like, like, uh, you know, like the elections coming up in Canada, you know, so many people are Mm -hmm. you know on the elections and they're, that's important to them and that's totally fine. But it's just like, what does that other person mean to your own freedom, to the, to the quality of life, to, to what choices you have each and every day? Do you wake up and you are inspired about what you do? You've designed your life from A to B, you know what your values are and you're, and you're executing on your values or are you kind of in this space where you're just getting by and life is hard and you know, you're depressed and all those things. And that's a lot of people. That's even me sometimes. That's me currently sometimes. Um, but, at least I have a vision and I'm moving towards something that's super inspiring. And for the most part, it's, it's pretty good. And I know Mm -hmm. that there's room for lots of improvement, but it's the idea of doing something meaningful, at least in my own life. And there's a lot of things that I have control of that many people don't. And I see that the sense of their frustration, maybe Mm -hmm. they can't control their time. Mm -hmm. You know, they're showing up, like where does your body show up? I actually just did a a coaching call with a, with a person. And it was so funny. He said that uh, he had this experience in um, where he got a he had a vision of himself at his computer he was doing finances and mm-hmm. it showed the past 5 years of his life or whatever time frame it was and it removed the computer and he mm-hmm. had realized at this moment that he had actually had been doing nothing at all. Nobody had ever thanked him he 'd not <laughs> done grateful. He just saw his the five years flash in banking and just removed wow. the computer and He had realized he was just sitting in a chair staring at a screen and that's, that was his life that's, yeah. and, and Some people just like kind of live on the beach, some people snowboard, some people explore nature, some people. Do all these different versions of being alive, of being human, being human, having the human experience, designing your life is so far beyond just your job. But in in Buddhism and Zen, and and I think a lot of the concepts uh, people talk about is your vocation. That's more Mm -hmm. about like, who are you? Mm -hmm. What do you want to learn? What are you good at? Maybe you're a swordsmith. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you're a tech guy because you just love it, and that's who you are, and you're fully immersed in there, but that's your vocation. It's you expressing as yourself, and then the job manifests around that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, and I think you're right to point out kind of the repetition, the training aspect I think is where a lot of people fall down, especially if they don't have a coach, and you don't see these immediate results, and they're kind of like on the fence, like this is some woo stuff. Does it work? Um, and I think in my experience where people fall down is either not having enough juice behind it, not having enough emotional or spiritual power behind it, or not doing it long enough, like not finding a way to structure it so that it's not even a choice. It's like, that's something you do, right? Like we don't, I don't wake up and choose to brush my teeth. I just wake up and it's, I'm brushing my teeth. So it's, it's that kind of practice, um, and creating your life and and a vocation it's, Very often that the world needs exactly what you most want to give. And I think that that's easy to forget when we get caught up in the rat race of daily life. It's easy. I mean, it's easy. I forget it all the time too, even though I'm, you know, helping coaching people with that. And the more we can go back to that by actually stepping into the qualities that we most want to manifest. And this goes back to like, let's say around money or around your career, it's like joy. Okay. I'm thinking about that and I get a sense of joy. The more you can actually live in joy at the moment, the easier and the faster that actual outside thing is going to manifest. It's just our, our world is only a reflection of our internal situation, our internal reality. And so it's a real, it's kind of almost ironic that the thing that you're hoping to give you joy is really only going to come when you find a way to stand in your own joy at the moment. And that's the training.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's challenging. Again, a lot easier uh, said than done. But it, but I find sure. it to be very very true. And you know I, I'm just kind of reminded of a good friend, Adam Pool. I have to tell him I mentioned him on the podcast. But uh, he grew up a farmer and wow. he had this crazy work ethic. But uh, he picked up a computer at like 18, and he's like he's doing incredibly well. And like he's worked for you know the Super Bowl and and these big the biggest big things. And he could like do the the graphics and he could animate it and he could he could just do all this stuff but i'll tell you the characteristics about this person he's the most giving person i've ever met he mm-hmm. just is always giving when we were in whistler he'd be hooking up everybody's computer getting them himself just because mm-hmm. we didn't know what we were doing he you know he would always be doing that and he would never complain uh-huh. This guy—that was another facet. He'd never complain, and he just would have this idea, this work ethic, this appreciation, and just always giving back. And to see him receive it, just like makes so much sense. And I'm so happy for him because he's such a good guy and the most deserving. But some of those elements, you know, like just consistency. Um, Uh appreciation and just being, being it. And so, you know, there's the example too of Jim Carrey, where he talked about, you know, seeing, getting paid a million dollars for his acting skills and feeling that and feeling that. And there's story after story, the same with, you know, that's one idea, but the way that it manifests physically too with people who are doing like high dives or Uh Olympic high diving, they spend a lot of time in visualization, The more complicated, Uh the move, the more difficult the task, the more time in visualization. And it's the Uh exact same time with uh whatever you're trying to manifest in your reality Mm -hmm. using that as a part of the process because there's so much information about why that works now you can go Mm -hmm. find it but you really got to get yourself into the practice just to get a little taste you know universal wink where you're like oh you know what this actually does work and it's it's you know it's part of my daily my daily Mm -hmm. process i'd say it's like visualization is like the squats as a species, we all want strong legs. Somebody figured out that you just do squats every now and then, you know, right. like squats and weights. <laughs> and now yeah. some people are going around with super strong legs, you know what I mean? I have distance, and some of us aren't. But it's just like, yo, I've been telling you, bro, you got to squat. Right. Know, but why would I, I don't understand why I would just put something heavy on my back and then stand up? It doesn't make any sense. You got to yeah. try it <laughs> to have the experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing confidence breeds more success. Mm -hmm. So whatever, whatever needs to happen to have people confident in the process and whether it's, you know, a small little test or whatever, then, you know, that's the thing to do to move them forward. But so, you know, I think it's a bit different if you're working with a, if you're working with a coach, you're paying, you're paying for the privilege of that, right? It's like, look, I'm going to keep you on the straight and narrow. I, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. Like we're going to do this and let's we're going to do it for the next three months and let's see what happens, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%, man. Well, man, all of this has been such a fantastic insight. I've really enjoyed the conversation with you. I want to ask, is there anything that you wish that I would asked, or is there anything that you want to discuss before we um, finish for today?
1: No, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Um, Love hearing a little bit more about your background, and would love to come on again sometime in the future. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, man. Sounds good to me. Well, um, so I'm going to ask – I'm just going to throw a random question at you then because, again, I I really – enjoy this conversation. Um, I talk more than I usually did. So apologies to my audience if, if you wanted uh, Nick to speak more, but I uh, really, I really enjoyed this, man. You really know what you're talking about. You're an expert, humble and uh, putting out really good information. What would you, you offer to people who like are struggling right now? Like if, for everything that you've, you've kind of learned, you know, what would you like to say around like just helping an individual find their own path, their own empowerment, if they're in a little bit of a rough spot. And then also just, I'd be curious about, your thoughts on how we could move toward world peace? Because I want to I want to discuss that more on the podcast um, mm-hmm. because I think it's so important. I think it's something that is possible within our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think that religions have played a huge part in, in why we've had war on the planet because uh, they're killing over their beliefs and that's mm-hmm. really what's happening. Is we're having these massive wars, whether it's nationalities or beliefs in gods or different things. Individuals don't want to go and murder each other, you know. Mm-hmm. But but as a species now, we should be ready to at least solve our problem without guns without bombs and i and i feel like that's such a, a a critical point in human history like we look back and say you know in 2020 we ended war in 2021 we stopped warring with each other Mm-hmm. If we're an intelligent species, I feel like that's important. And from the research I've done, not not if you're religious, I have still tons of love and respect for you and, and your belief, but it does seem those institutions battling each other's, if you look back in time are where these wars were stemming from and, and still continue to have a huge influence. We need to mm-hmm. cultivate a belief, but also tolerance in someone else's view as well. So mm-hmm. you being studied in that, I'd be curious to see your opinion.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a big question. Um, well, going to the the first part of what would I offer somebody struggling? And I mean, I you know, I've certainly had times in my life where that have been difficult that I've struggled through, regardless of any amount of meditation experience. And maybe it does give you—I know it does—it does give you a certain kind of strength to be able to see things in a different way and to be able to move through it maybe more effortlessly than. Otherwise, but even if you don't have that background, I think that there are two things that have really helped me. One is trying to frame something in the positive. And the way that I look at that is like what we were talking about early, early on like, what is the learning here for me? Like, this is a really painful, really crappy experience. Um, you know, it feels really out of control. I can think of myself as a victim, even. Or I could tr- turn this around and say, you know, this is an amazing training ground. I'm in this simulation called life. And What is it that I'm meant to learn here? And how can I learn that even faster by leaning into it? That's the first thing. And then the other thing is just, you know, some, sometimes for me, it's like the frustration or the, any anger, any kind of like quote unquote negative emotions, they come from wanting something to be other than it is instead of really letting go and just experiencing the moment of what's going on, you know, whatever, whatever the big problem is, like what's, what's going on right now? You know, what, what, what does the seat feel like? What does the air smell like? That kind of thing. Um, and just staying present with it. And those two things can really help get you through some rocky patches, but I know it's not easy. Um, even for if somebody's had training and then to your other point about world peace. Um, I, I know that there are many, many conflicts, wars, wars, battles, conflicts that are in the name of religion or in the name of ideology or in the name of this or that in my, from my perspective, um, every single war or conflict actually arises over a scarcity of resources. So there's one group that has a scarcity of resources and another group that doesn't. And that, that creates this tension between the two. So if you look at like modern, if you look at Arab nations and the modern West, right? Extremely low. There's a huge gap in terms of the GDP relative to how many people there are. So, it creates this tension of like oh they have and we don't and how do we get some and then there's this whole an ideology that builds up around that well actually they have that stuff but they're infidels or or on the american side we, or on the western side it's like well you know they have that stuff but they're in the stone ages or they don't have that stuff it's because they're in the stone ages with their thinking and sharia law and all that and so what we do is we use those frameworks in order to vilify or create more distance between the two groups, right? We're in the in-group when they're in the out-group, the haves and have-nots. And so one, I think it's very rare for a, you know, a a culture that is thriving to go out and make war on another culture that's also thriving. That's usually not what happens, almost never. Um, And so if you can kind of create a more level playing field I'm not saying like total equality. I don't think that's actually even possible, but just a more level playing field. I think you're going to take away some of the root cause, but then on the deeper level, you know, the more you connect with your own inner peace, which I, I almost hate saying that term, but like an, an inner sense of quality where you're calm or you're loving or you're compassionate, those positive qualities much, much harder to have that person on an individual level, go out and like shoot somebody down with a drone. Or whatever it is. So, I think that as these tools become more um, useful and used within society and not necessarily attached to an ideology, I think that actually is a key to move forward. And, and the Dalai Lama talks about this a lot that inner peace creates outer peace. And it, and it goes along with what we've been talking about this whole time that the inner qualities that you most have access to are the very things that are going to orient and organize your experience of the world. And it seems like magic. And it kind of is
0: beautifully stated, man. Love that insight. I love that idea. And I agree just, you know, from my own experience of just, uh, you know, being up a a man, I use the example, you know, when you're a teenager, if somebody calls you a loser, you got to go fight them because you don't (laughs) handle those emotions. And over time when you become more whole and more understanding Mm -hmm. of how your mind works and emotions and things like that, when you're, when you're okay with yourself and you're comfortable with yourself and you're whole and balanced, doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what somebody's saying to me you you know Mm -hmm. might irritate me but at at, once you get to a certain level it's not going to irritate you at all because you realize it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with you you know and and you're not attached to that idea so you know if we could create that culturally if we can create you know abundance and freedom and support for the entire world i'd like to just give the example of team earth you know what Mm -hmm. if aliens are looking down and they look at this planet and we're we're so battling and so we're all Basically the same, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like let's be more tolerant, let's be more kind, and let's create energy for all, let's create basic living for all, let's let's work together, Mm -hmm. Team Canada versus with Team USA, with Team Russia, Mm -hmm. with Team China, everybody working together, you know, to just create uh, abundance for all. It sounds it sounds simple to me. I feel like it makes sense. I don't know why there's so much red tape towards that. I I don't. (laughs) I'm not in politics. I'm not in the UN. I'm just like yo. Start working together, start talking to each other, start, let's get in, you know, like you said that the high level mystics and the high level, uh, you know, spiritual leaders and different things are, they're, they're going to talk to the mm-hmm. other leader. You know what I mean? Unless, unless some of them have an agenda, then that might be a little bit of a different thing. Um, right. but that's the idea is like, we need to be talking to each other. We need to be tolerant and we need to be having these discussions because as a human species, that's supposed to be intelligent that we can go to the moon. Um, some people believe we didn't go to the moon. That's your own thing. I don't know. I think we did. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole whole Joe Rogan side note. Um, But um, we should be able to be peaceful, you know, and we should be looking after each other and we should be doing a better job of of how we uh, take care of each other on this planet and and just discussing those things. So anyway, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate you and your work uh, and what you're doing. Where can people find more about you if they want to grab the book, if they want to look at your work, where do they go?
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's been great. I really appreciate the conversation. Um, Best way to find the book is Amazon Shift, The Art of Transforming Limitations. You can find it also Target online, uh, Barnes & Noble, places like that. Um, Best way to connect with me personally is either through LinkedIn uh, or my website is nickeganphd.com. You can shoot me a message over there. I respond within 24 to 48 hours.
0: Right on. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate the kind words and the conversation. Also, um, yeah, we'll definitely get you back on the show, and we'll stay in touch. So, thanks everybody for watching.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Peace. Rock and roll, everybody. There you have it—that an amazing episode with Nick Egan. I hope that you enjoyed it. He really knows his stuff. What an amazing guy! What an amazing episode. I invite you to check out his book, "The Art of Transformation" or "The Art of Transforming Limitations." Sorry, obviously. He knows what he's talking about, full of wisdom, full of humility, uh, very knowledgeable and very practical insights that can help you improve your mindset, improve your spirit and improve your life. So i really enjoyed this podcast. If you want to share and support, please leave a review in iTunes. That helps. Share it. Share it on forums and Instagrams. Write a blog, anything like that to help get the word out. It helps immensely to spread the word. Uh, thank you to all my patrons. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair, that helps so much. So Thank you guys for doing that, but the kind acts are the absolute best thing that you can do to support the show, and I am looking for your feedback. Hit me up at Matt MattBellier on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Matt at Zen Athlete, and email. Let me know what you like about the show. If there's any guests you want me to have on, what do you want for these upcoming courses in 2020, January 1st? Sign up for that email list because there's going to be some things coming down the pipe just for you so I want to hear your feedback and uh and yeah I just want to hear from all of you guys so let me know I'm looking forward to 2020 thank you guys for being here so far I really appreciate you everybody who's listened who supported the show uh much love and appreciation so let's uh close this up by coming to a state of peace and coherence wherever you are in the world to stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, energy, focus, inspiration, enthusiasm, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.